There are movies that are quite quotable. Uh, I grew up, my favorite movie was uh, Money Fights on Holy Grail. I, I can do that. I think I can still do that from beginning to end without that one section. Um, that was not me. I promise. Maybe that was God. I, I think not a fan of not a fan of British humor. Um, one of the one of the another movie uh, that is also quite quotable is uh, is The Princess Bride. And um, and I, I there is one quote in that that I appropriate a lot of times, not the one about Tina. People, you can tell the people who haven't watched that movie like, why is he talking about? Uh, but one that actually applies to our topic today. Uh, and that is uh, the one, there's one scene with Inigo uh, Montoya, and, and, and he says, you keep using that word, but I don't think that word means what you think it means. Uh, we're talking about uh, the official jobs that, um, that Christ held. And he fulfilled three jobs. Actually, there's a fourth. We're not going to get to that one today. There's, there was, there's actually four positions in the Old Testament that, that you would be anointed for. And um, we've talked about prophet and priest. Another one we're going to do in July because it kind of goes with a, a different topic that we're going to cover. But um, there's, we're, we're in the last one. The one that, I mean, we talked about the, the one that people really looked up to was the priest because it was the center of their religious, um, their religious life. Sometimes, the things we do have significant unintended consequences. And what I mean by that, well, I'll tell you what I mean. A lot of you might not know who this guy is right off. Uh, that is the most lethal man in the history of America. That doesn't look quite like a very horrific, you know, villain. Uh, but that man is probably responsible for more deaths in American history than any other man. Man's name is Eli Whitney. Now, well, Eli Whitney, he was just an inventor. Eli Whitney did, he was just an inventor. That's true. He's probably responsible for more deaths than any other person. He came up with two, two big things that he invented or, or further. One was the cotton gin. The cotton gin, uh, when, when he invented his cotton gin in the se- uh, late 1700s, there were eight slave states. Slavery was already, uh, in the 1790s, was already becoming less and less popular until the invention of the cotton gin. When the cotton gin was invented, now we had all this ability to, to produce cotton, so, so the demand for cotton soared. Well, the cotton gin was great at, at manipulating the cotton to make it so that it could be woven, but it couldn't handle, and there was no invention yet to pick the cotton. And, and so, now there was a need for people to pick cotton. Well, we know who those people were. And so, within 30 or 40 years, we had gone from eight slave states to 15 uh, that was an unintended consequence. Uh, 
Eli Whitney was from the abolitionist state of, of Massachusetts. He was not some, some guy from the South and, and trying to, to help slavery. That was not his intention. Uh, educated at Yale. So he made up for it. The other thing he did was to... Uh, so, so he basically created the cause for the Civil War. That was the, without Eli Whitney, we probably would have not had a Civil War. Slavery would have just declined and, and been voted out as it was later. Uh, well, he made up for it because he also designed his second great uh, advancement was what we call replaceable parts. Uh, that was, was in the manufacturing of up to this, up to, up till Eli Whitney, each individual part was, was made for the particular machine in which, which it belonged to. So you didn't have just like, you know, go on Amazon and, uh, I need another one of these and throw one of those, take out the bad one and put the other one in. I didn't have that. He comes up with replaceable parts. What that did was it made American and specifically the northern weaponry much more efficient and lethal. So, so, so it just helped the killing. Uh, so, so he both was the, the reason for the cause and the end of, of, of the Civil War. And oh, who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people died because of unintended consequences. What we're talking about unintended consequences and, and the roles that Jesus filled. We come to this one verse that we really like. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It's a very nice beginning uh, to our New Testament. We read it every Christmas. Now that Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east, and we have come to worship him. This is a, a very nice... You know, this is the, the story, one of the, the stories that we really like. It's very pleasant. You know, we go through the Old Testament, and there's a, a lot of awful stories, and we come to this, and this is such, such a nice start. There are a lot of unintended consequences. And, and the story of Christ as King is a story of unintended consequences. So we have to kind of go back to where this all starts. And so we're going to look today at, the, at a story, um, Christ is King, and it begins really in 1 Samuel. This is really where this, all, this whole story goes back to. It says, The elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge. And so Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and everything that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And according to all the deeds they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, they have forsaken me and serve other gods, so that they are also now doing this to you. So then obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who will reign over them. Well, I want to talk about the concerns of these people and, and really what they were doing. Now, I want to focus on a couple, just pick out a couple of points of him. Now, you notice that this was the will of the people, but it's the elders who come to them. Now, it's the smart people. It's the, it's the elite that come to them and kind of blame it on the people. I don't know who really drove this. 
I don't know if it was really the elders that wanted it or the people, and the elders just did what the what the people wanted. You know, they say that uh, you you have the government you deserve. Um, that, that really you just elect people to represent you, and and, and these elders seem to be just the, the same type of people that representing the same things as the common people. But they were clearly not interested in doing God's God's will. So, we see the rejection. We're not interested. We're not interested. We want, we want a different. We want a change. Now, how do you know that this was a rejection and, and that just their own concerns is who do they come to to do this? They come to Samuel. And they say, Samuel, appoint us a king. They did not go to God. They didn't say, God, we want a different system. They come to Samuel and say, listen, just do it. We've already decided what we want. We know better and, and do that. There was no inquiring of God. Just make it so. So there was the rejection. The second thing you see in this story is the motivation. What was their motivation for the change? The motivation for the change was to be like the other nations. We want to be like everybody else. I want to do what's popular. I want to do what everybody does. If everybody's doing it, it must be the right way. This is so smart. Everybody's got to be so smart. What did they see? What did they see in, in having a king? Well, they probably saw the same thing we see. Good grief. Uh, the royalty in England can't sneeze without making the news. Hey, oh, they're having a baby. What's the baby's name? La, 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 la. Right? Royalty. We love royalty. Gotta have royalty. It's just all the, just the, the pageantry that goes with it. It's so wonderful. It's so nice. We want the pageantry. Let's say they have pageantry. What do we have? We don't have that. We have an old guy that walks around and tells us what to do. He doesn't walk around. And when he comes to town, everybody's scared of him. Right? And they start shaking. Oh, no, here's Samuel. Well, that's not exciting. Some old smelly guy coming around telling us what to do. We want the king. We want the gold. We want the robes. We want the throne. The motivation is the, the appearance and the attractiveness. Well, that's not what they said. What did they come? So, what you get is the justification. Well, Samuel, your sons are old and they're not really walking in God's ways. We've already established they didn't care about God. We've already established that. We've already seen that they were not concerned about what God wanted because it would have stopped at that point. But now we'll use the justification of something spiritual to get what I want. This is what I want, Samuel. I'm building my case. I can see my sermon over here. What's the justification? Well, the justification in reality did not... It, it was unnecessary in the sense that 
having a king was not going to eliminate the problem that they stated was the problem. Having, if the problem is sons who do not walk in God's way, having a king, as we can see from history, is not going to get rid of that problem. Having a, a successor to a throne with absolute power does not tend to get rid of corruption. <laughs> it tends to do the opposite. But again, they weren't concerned with what God wanted. It was just merely a justification to get what they wanted. And it had unintended consequences. And, and God says, listen, we don't want them to walk into this blindly. They're going to reject me. That's fine. Do what they want. But we're going to, they're not going to have an excuse. We're going to show them the consequences. And these are the consequences. So he says, this is what the king who reigns over you will do. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run in front of his chariots. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make weapons of war and equip his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, vineyards and olive groves and he will give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and he will give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and he will put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slave. And you will cry out because the king whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer to you in that day. And they said, where can I sign? Makes no sense. Goals are often counterproductive. We look at that First of all, there's just a couple of things that, that are really interesting, some opposites. As, as you looked at that list, the, the, the things that, that they got, the financial problems and the... Well, the pursuit of prestige hurts, first of all. They wanted the prestige. They wanted all that. But what they ended up getting was something a little bit different. Oh, they, they, they had the visions of, of majesty and royalty... And what they got was confiscation of money and property and children, forced slavery, military service. Didn't quite turn out as they envisioned. When you seek that master over your life, it will have unintended consequences. Our young people today, Seek self-image and wanting all of wanting approval, and they've turned to social media to do this for them. And I want approval, and I want I want to share my whole life, and and I put it out there for your approval. And sometimes they don't get approval. What they get is the exact opposite. And so we see a spike in suicide, and we see a spike in depression. Because they, they put their lives out there seeking for things. Didn't go quite the way that they wanted it. I put my life in, and, and, and this will make me, and people will, will like me. And I'll, I'll go back every five minutes to see if people are liking me. Are there any more liking me? 
Oh, no one's liking me this, this hour. And it becomes counterproductive, that pursuit of something. I said, that was never intended. That was not, that's not what I wanted for you. They find that material goals fail to deliver. They don't, they don't do what you were hoping. Here they had images, as I say, of, of royalty and gold and, and all the things that would be a part of their wonderful Israel. What they didn't realize is that um, there was going to be gold. There was going to be army. They were going to be the ones supplying it, not getting it. It was going to be produced on their backs. It wasn't going to be coming to them. It was going to be coming to, to the king. And if you, if you happened to be, you know, connected, if you, if you had ties, if you had people you know, who know people, well, you might get a, a, a little side benefit. But if you weren't in one of those few people, you are not seeing any of that. Maybe the elders thought, well, we're, we're close. We'll, we'll see something. I don't know what they're thinking was. But so much of what we seek for, it comes not to our benefit, but it comes on our backs. And we, we seek things and we, we pour all our labor and our energy and our finances into trying to pursue something that never, ever produces what we are hoping it will produce. They are counterproductive goals. And here's the last one. We find that liberating experiences are actually the things that enslave us. What I mean by that is that the kids are, are looking for a exciting, right? And then when we get older, it's not so much the kids, it's not going to harp on the kids, but we're always looking for something. This is going to be the thing. Once you start out looking for the thing, this will be the thing that, that brings excitement, that brings something new. And, and we're always looking for that experience. I want the experience. And people get addicted to seeking for the experience. It might be, I, I, I mean, it can be, once you establish the precedent that something is going to bring you happiness, a thing, just as you get older, the thing changes. Family. You're 16, I'm going to think about family. want to go do this. This is fun. Everybody's doing it. Okay. That's, that's, that's teenager. We get older, we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that so much. And so we, it might be people. This is the person that will bring me happiness. This is the event. This is the, the lifestyle that I'll live in. This is the house I will live in that will bring me happiness. This is the... And we, we just always chasing. Always chasing. Always chasing. And we become a slave to liberation. If that makes sense. We want to be set free from what God... That's, that's what they were chasing. We want to be set free from this very confining experience. And we want a king. It's like, 
Have you thought about that? Does that make sense to you? We want to be free from what God established for us except it will be so liberating to have a king. No, no, it won't. It will be enslaving to have a king. And we give ourselves up to the thing that will enslave us. Well, he said, uh, when, uh, when they get what they want, then they're going to find out that uh, it didn't turn out so well. That's when they're going to ask me to take that away. And he's like, I'm not going to. You're going to live with it for a while. And see, the things that we give control over our lives don't give that control back very easily. The things that you get addicted to don't give up that control once I've given that control. Once you've given up control to a king, well, you've given up recourse. There's no... Kings don't get vetoed. Right? Who says to the king, you can't do that. I'm the king. When we give up power over our lives, who's there to veto it? I'm in it. And the things that, that assume control, they just keep on demanding. More. 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 I need more of your time. I need more of your attention. I need more of your money. More. And we go, okay. Just a little bit more. There's a subtle statement in here about kings. I want to go back to that verse. Verse 7 of First Samuel 8. Obey the voice of the people for in all they say to you, in all they say to you, because they've not rejected to you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. And this is a, a great point, that the, the title of king was never intended to be used in the Old Testament. Prophets and priests, yes. A king was never intended by God to be a position in the Old Testament. Now, he says, okay, fine. Well, you have the king now? I'll use that as an illustration, and Christ will fulfill that office later. But the office of king was always Christ. It was only Christ who was ever supposed to have that role. And we'll see that as we go. So we want to know Christ as the King. Know Him as the King. There's three quick points to know Him as the King. First of all, this is going to sound a little bit contradictory. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy uh, uh, comparing uh, to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Some say they're not, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. So the first thing we say, seek glory. You say, wait a minute, that sounds a little contradictory. Because then we just talk about the majesty and, the, and the, uh, all that stuff that we want is, is counterproductive. Sort of. See, it all depends on the type of glory that you're seeking. The bad character of Israel is somehow allowed for us. How? <laughs> well, 
is they were excited for a particular majesty and a very self-serving majesty and a self-serving glory. But it matters on who the king is. You see, we're looking at two different types of kings. Christ was the king who came to bring his glory and share it. They were seeking for a man who would come and be a king and take his glory from them. Saul is a type of king. And the type of glory was an immediate gratification. It was all in superficial things that they were looking for. But Christ came to bring a, a substance a real and enduring glory. The glory of an eternal relationship with Him. Quite different. And so He says, Seek my glory because the suffering that you can, that you can imagine here is not worthy to be compared. It's not like equal opposite. I get headaches quite frequently. In fact, I, I got up here with a headache. I've, I've noticed that I've never preached with a headache. I can have a migraine and walk up here. I don't ever have a headache. And I've said that the, the feeling of having a headache is almost worth the feeling of feeling it go away. I know that that is probably really weird to you. But that when you feel a headache go away, it's like, ah, oh, for a second, I'm like, that was almost worth it. I feel so much better. Like, I don't even feel normal. I feel so awesome. That's kind of what he's saying here. As bizarre as that sounds, when, when you're in the, the worst of, of life, the worst sufferings you can imagine are not worth the feeling of those sufferings going away. That, that glory that we will get is, is not just equal opposite. It is so far above the worst that you can feel. To seek that glory. So the first thing about knowing Christ is seeking His glory. The second thing, John 18, 36 30, uh, and 37 says, Jesus answered, He said, My kingdom is not of this world. Here He's talking to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you a king? He says, If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting so that I wouldn't be delivered to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. So Pilate said to him again, So you are a king. Jesus said, I say, You say that I am a king. This purpose I was born and this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Oh, indeed, the position of king was a position designed to be held by one person and one person only. That is Christ. That was his purpose for coming to the world. To be a king. But to be in that kingdom is to accept truth. You have to get beyond the glory. Heaven is a nice thing to look forward to, but you have to get beyond that. To get there, we have to be here. And we have to accept the things that come along with Christ. The baby in the manger is nice. We have to get past the baby in the manger. 
when Christ said, I'm a king. And, and when people said, we're here to see and worship this, this king of the Jews. And, and every Christmas, at every Christmas pageant, when, when uh, every little kids play or whatever we do, and we repeat the words, Christ is king, we love those words, and it's nice to see the kids get up and say that. I'm not really sure that word means what we think it means. King means absolute dictator. It has unintended consequences for us. It doesn't mean I get a vote. There are no votes. Christ will not be overruled. His words are absolute. Have a passion for His words. Accept truth. My, my job is not to argue with God. My job is not to find the translation that will justify my preconceived ideas. It's not to proof text and find a verse that I can take out of context. My job is to hear the king and obey the king. That's the job of a person. Those are the unintended consequences. And for that, we get the glory. They are inseparable. One more thing about knowing a king. This is Revelation chapter 17. I'm going to have to do a little bit of explanation because it's Revelation. But to get to the meat of what I want to say, unfortunately, we have to kind of slog through the mud a little bit. It's right in the middle of a long vision that he's giving. He goes, these are the seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. When he does come, he will remain just a little while. The beast that was and is not is of the eighth, but belongs to the seven. I know, I, I can feel you and I can hear you. It goes to destruction, and the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour, together with the beast. And these are of one mind. They have a hand over their power and authority to the beast. For they will hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who with him are called chosen and faithful. Really quickly, uh, he's talking about, John is writing, he's talking about this coming government, whatever it was, right? I'm not going to get into detail. And there were going to basically be like a, a group of nations, this eight or seven. Uh, there's going to be these, these ten kingdoms and however that is, right? But they were all, all going to align to give power to this larger power. We want to be in on that, right? And uh, And so... They were going to align with one common goal, which was to be in opposition to the church. That's all this means. Okay? Big fancy language. And that's all it means. And he says, however, and where we want to draw our attention to is the part that's easy to understand, which is the last verse here. He talks about the Lamb. 
Christ being the king. He says, those who are with him are called and chosen and faithful. That is, to know a king, to know the king, to know the king above all kings is to be faithful. That is a requirement. It's not, I'm going to start out and this sounds great. Whoa, wait a second. No. There's glory for those who obey, but there's glory for those who obey and consistently obey. There's glory that awaits. You've got to get there. It's not a half, halfway journey and then I'll skip a little bit and meet you around. It is called and chosen and faithful. Why did they need to be faithful? Because they were in the middle of a war. And I mean physically in the middle of a war. Physically they were being attacked for being Christians. You will, you want to be with that king? A king who, if you align yourself, by the way, as we just read in John, they don't pick up swords. That's kind of hard to win a war that way. So I'm a king, and um, you're going to be on my side. Okay, great. We don't fight. What? Yeah, we die. You still want to be faithful. That's the kind of king I am. Historically, the beast is gone. It's little more than a third world country now. Different story. But the church is still here. Because Christ is the King of Kings. The church will not go out of existence, he says. That's knowing the King. Those people who died are in His glory. And Revelation gives a picture of them seated around the throne. The chosen and faithful martyrs, he calls them. They have entered and tasted that glory because they were faithful. So as we close, just a couple of thoughts. First of all, have I experienced the real or the imitation? We all have experienced. We've all sought for something to give our lives to because that's what we do. People like kings. We like kings. And so we will seek. It is in everyone's nature in this room to give your lives to someone or something. I will give it to my work. I'll give it to my house. I'll give it to my job. or my. I'll give it to my family. I'll give it to entertainment, I will give it to vacation, and I will give it to anything and everything. Under the sun, we are designed to give ourselves to something or somebody. Is it the real or is it the imitation? When you're done with it, does it leave you needing more? In fact, you can shorten that question. Are you ever done with it? If you're done with it, then it's imitation. 
that if you're ever done with it, like, I gave myself to that and it's done. What now? Katie has me questions. It's a good question. She's like, when you finish your basement, where are you going to have coffee? On your deck or in the basement? I don't know. I don't know. All that energy I'm pouring into that thing. You're done with it. What now? What is the real? So that leads to the next question. If, if I've been experiencing the imitation, what fears keep me from having Christ as my king? What is it that I'm afraid of? The things that keep us from something are fears. That is the strongest motivator. Fear, love, unfortunately, is not the strongest motivator. Fears keep us from things. I'm afraid this will happen if I do this. What is that fear? Kings come with risks. They come with unintended consequences. If you give your life to the king this morning, there will be unintended consequences. They will not all be pleasant. That's a fact. Ask anybody in this room who's done it. There are unintended consequences. If your decision, if you've already made that decision, but you've not experienced those unintended consequences, then you have to ask yourself if you've actually become a part of the kingdom or if you're just kind of on a visitor's visa. I'm just touring. When the difficulties and the requirements seem quite hard, Christ gives us the answers. Think about the glory. When that's all you can think about to get you through, think about the glory that comes from the king.